Ladies and gentlemen, here's the smoothest interviewer in his own mind, Derek Dunn of Reviews and Dunn. Peace and blessings, world. What's going on? Once again, it's your man, Derek Dunn, back with another interview. My guest today is one-fifth of a very highly underrated group, in my opinion, Troop. Now, if you ask me, the only group that comes close to matching New Edition's choreography is Troop. I mean, growing up, I always felt that Troop was the West Coast version of Troop. And I have a mission for my listeners out there. As soon as this interview is over, I want you guys to go on YouTube and type in Troop, I'm not souped, or senior hall performance. And just look at how these brothers were working the choreography in that video. I'm 39 years old now, and I still get tired from watching these brothers, you know, go in there and just kill it with the choreography. So welcome to the line, my man, John John from Troop. How you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing all right, my man. Good to hear from you, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you, sir, for taking time out of your busy schedule to stop by the line, you know, chop it up, give us some of uh, history on Troop, and you can possibly let us know how to perfect that uh, Troop lean, you know, something that I've been trying to get right for close to 30 years. I always end up busting my ass when I'm trying to perfect it, but, you know, we'll get into all of that, man, you know, a little bit of an interview, because the Troop lean, man, is one of those classic moves that if you can't do it right, you have no business trying to do it, as I've learned many times. So why don't you give us a brief history to start out. Um, how did you meet, link up with the rest of the guys to form Troop? I understand that you grew up with Steve pretty much from age five. Probably, oh, uh, I, don't even know, I don't know if it was that long. Uh, I would say with Steve it could be from maybe him being in the sixth grade and at the time possibly me being in the seventh grade over at Elliott, I think he, at that time, he was at, uh, I think his elementary school was Willard. I didn't meet him in element. I didn't meet him in school. I met him at the Boys and Girls Club. But I guess that was around, I can't even say what year it was. I know that the group had formed in 1984. Me and Steve were, were like really constantly together at around, you know, Thriller's album, Michael Jackson's Thriller album. And that was like, you know, back in 1982. Uh, and and if, it, if anything was before that, it was probably just a regular boys club and girls, boys and girls club days, basically back then. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's pretty much my history of, of me and, and then Steve's friendship. And, and along with others like, you know, our boy Tracy Murray, you know, who grew up to be, you know, an iconic basketball player. He played for... Houston Rockets, he played for the Lakers, he played for, uh, I believe he also played for Toronto Raptors, uh, so he kind of got around in the NBA, so he was another friend of ours. Cool, cool. So when did um Rodney and Reggie and Alan come into the group? I know that you guys um won a talent show on, um, what's the talent show again, bro? I, I keep thinking it's Top of the Pops. But it's not top of the pops. What was that talent show and um Pasadena? Putting on the hits, right? That's it. So putting well, on the hits. Well, that was a television show. That wasn't it wasn't a talent show. That was a television show. The host was Alan Fawcett. And Rodney and Reggie were the guys that were on the show with three other guys. Um and that was the television show putting on the hits. And they won that show after that. A producer had called and wanted to know if the guys could really sing because he liked, he liked to dance. And his name was Greg Perret. Greg had called the show. They, they put Greg in contact with Rodney's mom. Um, Rodney's mom was managing the group at the time. And um, after that, uh, certain things didn't happen with the other three members to be a part of the group. And Rodney's mom, she always had a six person just in case if someone was to get sick or whatever. 
Uh, she always had a stand-in. So when it was my time to be a stand-in, I was bringing harmony to the group and, and teaching them how to keep their parts and stuff like that. That was my thing because, you know, my family sings, and I, I came from, a, you know, a lot of church choirs and stuff like that, so I knew harmony. So that was basically my task of being a part of the group and, and, and just helping them on their journey for as far as keeping their harmony together and everything. And, and one of the guys had gotten kind of like um, – what do you say? Uh, how, do, how do I say this? I guess he kind of got like impatient about as far as like picking up the notes and keeping on his part and everything. So he left, and that's how I was able to be a part of the group. And at that time, it was myself, Rodney, Reggie, Steve, and a guy named Shane. And we auditioned for Greg Parade. Shout out for Greg. Um, he liked us. He put us in the studio with Michael Henderson. Michael Henderson is a big time, you know, songwriter, producer. He wrote so many songs. Uh, I, not too long ago, I just seen him on the Dramatics uh, Unsung, TV One Unsung special, and I was like, wow, that's Michael Henderson. He wrote one of our first songs called I'm Gonna Make It Right For You. And then Greg Perret, he wrote a song for us called Love Toy. So we did those songs, and we had did a showcase for A&M Records, and we were still kind of wet behind the ears, so we didn't, um, we didn't get to deal with A&M. Uh, the guy, Shane, that was a part of the group at the time, he did the patient, so he stopped coming around, and that's how we were able to get Alan, and we grabbed Alan. And a situation had, a situation had went down with uh, Greg for Greg not to deal with us anymore, so he turned us over to David Cook and Steve Cohen, and they got us to deal with Atlantic Records. Cool, cool. And that was prior to you graduating high school, correct? Yeah, we were still in high school. Um, I was, we didn't sign, the, the, you know, the deal, the production deal along with Atlantic Records until 1986. So 1986 had arrived and we signed contracts, but we couldn't come out. You know, Steve and myself, our parents, you know, they made us graduate from high school. We had to at least get our high school diploma first before all of that happened. And so the timing was kind of perfect, though, because, and at that time, we still didn't have a name. The company didn't like the name that we was having. We, was, we had so many different names from high five. I mean, from you know, from high. You see, we tried to have our name to be Jazar, which was our spelling in our names. Um, we tried to use like names like High Quality uh, because we had a song called High Quality. So we thought about having our name be High Quality. We had a name called Five of a Kind. I mean, it was just so many. Uh, names that we had had, and then for the label, wasn't really liking the names that we were choosing, so they started calling us the guys. So we was just being the guys, and we couldn't use that name either because of the group guys. So it was just kind of funny on how all the names that we were thinking of having that we couldn't have, and and at the same time, you know, Mama Cita was getting ready to be released, and we had to come up with something within three days. So Steve was like, he was watching the series, um, this television show called F Troop, and it was that, that's kind of where he got it from. And he just said, hey, y'all, let's just be troop. You know, we got that dance called the troop, and John John doing this dance called the troop, and we, we, we got this dance and everything, and, you know, the troop gear and the clothing, it just sounds good. Let's just be troop. And we said, yeah, it was, it was cool with it and everything. We just said, yeah. And all of a sudden after that, um, you know, Mama Sita was out with Troop, you know, five guys from the West Coast. Cool, cool. So you're from the age when artists used to go under what was called art, artist development. How long was that process for you when you were doing artist development prior to the album being released? Artist development, um... I can't really say that we had artist development. We we went through as far as like just you know talking to our management company and you know they taught us about being on time and you know making sure that everyone was showing up at our meetings and you know being on time, being prompt, and looking a certain way, speaking a certain way. We kind of went through the training of the artist development from being you know with our managers and everything. 
No, but yeah, I hear a lot of um, people that I interview, you know, they're 80s artists, 90s artists, even, you know, 70s artists, they always say that um, that's one thing that's kind of lacking in 2020 is that artist development. And I kind of agree, like, you know, it's a lost thing. You can kind of tell just in talking to you and hear, hearing how you're speaking as opposed to um, other artists that I've interviewed, you know, that are a bit, you know, more modernized, like it's totally – Totally different. So shout out to you, brother, for you know being professional, giving it to me straight, no chaser, and just I'm keeping it 100. So the first album, Mama Sita, written by Gerald Levert, Eddie Levert, and Mark Gordon from True. You guys work with Chucky Book on that album. On my heart, um, you have the Slow Jam, Still in Love, and Young Girl. Now, ironically, even though you guys were five men. Or don't forget about She's My Favorite Girl, too, though, man. Um, Chucky Booker produced that record, too. Don't forget about that track. That was a cold butter track. Dope. So um, on the first album, they primarily focused on Steve and Alan's voices, right? They really didn't give you a chance to sing lead on the first album, right? Uh, As far as leads... For me, not really at the time. But you, you can actually hear my... Boy, I did. I kind of did some ad libs a little bit on my heart, and I did like also some ad libs on "She's My Favorite Girl." I did some ad libs also on "With Steve" doing a harmony note with Steve on the song um, "Still in Love," like the rain outside my window pane. Yes, that's my shit, man. Still in love, man. That joint right there is. Classic joint. So Troop drops the album, 88. You're out in L.A. When did you find time to be an extra and come into America? And where are you at in the movie so oh. I can go find you? Oh, wow, man. That was um, coming to America. That was actually before the Troop album. It was around the same time that we were signed with Atlantic. Um, but I think at the time we were just working on their album. We were just working on the album. And I was able to go ahead and be a part in the movie being a, you know, being an extra and coming to America. So I think Coming to America was actually shot between eighty six, eighty seven, I believe, something like that. But that was a lot of fun because I was able to meet, you know, I met Sherry Hadley. I met, uh, who else did I meet on the set? I met James Earl Jones, John Amos. Um, who else was on the set that I met? Um, also, I met, the, I keep forgetting her name, but it's the lady who was wearing the, you know, the big long dress. She was hopping around and <laughs> I met her. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everybody was nice people, man. And I got a chance to also, too, chop it up with uh, Arsenio Hall. And I remember meeting him and telling him about our group, you know, being with Atlantic Records and getting ready to come out and, and saying hopefully that maybe one of these days we can go ahead and be on his show. And it's kind of crazy. We ended up performing on Arsenio Hall seven times. So I don't know any other R&B act that has performed on that show that many times. I think we got the record. Uh, shout out to Arsenio. So we're going to get an Attitude album, and I think it's a perfect you know, segue into the Attitude album because as I mentioned when the interview started, you know, I had to be like eight or, eight or nine, yeah, eight or nine, eight or nine, and, you know, I snuck downstairs one night to watch – Arsenio, for whatever reason, I couldn't sleep. So, you know, I go downstairs, you know, give me a little snack, give me a juice box, and I'm watching Arsenio. And, brother, man, that, I'm not super performance, like I said. Even mm-hmm. watching it now makes me tired. And, you know, as you know, Arsenio didn't allow artists to lip sync. So, if you're going to be on Arsenio, no matter who you were, you had to be in your A game. You had to be on point, because Arsenio ain't play around, so just how long did it take you guys to perfect the choreography and the singing from Not Souped? 
Wow, man, that's um, a really good question. Um, it's just, you know, a, a lot of I'm Not Soup, that whole entire performance for, you know, the Arsenio Hall show and even for our live show, that's all choreographed by the group. Um, and, you know, singing, it was just something that basically, you know, came with... Because in the beginning of our careers, we used to do a lot of jogging. Um, so we would jog every morning around a good four or five o'clock in the morning. We would get up in the morning and we would jog and we would sing and jog at the same time. It was like we knew what we were preparing for. So we had to be able to keep up, you know, um, you know, with everybody else, with, you know, with the other artists that were out there at the time. Um, so we just, we wanted to keep up. We wanted to let people know that we were, uh, you know, a different type of group to where we were going to bring you choreography and vocals. And so because of us being able to get up every morning to jog, I believe that's what really helped out those vocals to be able to sing and dance at the same time. Well, man, whatever y'all are doing, y'all were doing it, uh, doing it right, because that's probably like one of the top performances that I can recall from, you know, Arsenio, and it wasn't even like um, you guys were sweating, still singing, still being in pitch, man. That shit is so, so cold. So if we ever get the true movie, damn it, that needs to be part of the performance. It needs to be in the movie. It needs to be recreated. So you, the rest of the guys, need to be on set and telling the guys who are playing y'all, like, you know, you're doing it wrong. Do it like this. Because that shit, man. Oh, that's, oh, is, that, that, that's what, that's without a doubt, cool. I would love, for, you know, to to have something like that and to, you know, to be a part of something like that, being able to put together a biopic, you know, for the group. I, I even have a name for it. I would, I would title it um, Troop, The Dream and the Prayer. It's like a prayer and a dream that matched because Rodney's mom had a, had a dream of her son being on stage with four of his friends. And my prayer was that, was that, um, for God to do something with me and Steve in the future. So it was like that prayer and that dream, it matched, you know, so to speak, if I can say that, you know what I mean? I, I think it just matched. You know, because it, it, came, it came to be. It actually came to be, and, you know, we were successful behind it. You know, it was, you know, we, you know it, it was great. We had a great run. So second album, Attitude, drops in 89. Yeah. You know, you guys are doing your thing. Now, the rumor is that one of the big hits from that album, the second single, Spread My Wings, written by the legendary iconic, highly underrated Chucky Booker. Chucky wanted to keep that joint for himself. And I understand you guys heard Turned Away, and you want to turn away, you know, for your album. But go into that a little bit more. Tell me, tell me how you guys ended up with the classic song, Spread My Wings. Well, well, it's like, yeah, isn't it? That's kind of true, but it's kind of not. Uh, the, the real story behind it is that we wanted the song turned away. And, you know, Chucky, he didn't play us another song for us. He didn't, he, you know, he was playing us some songs that he had recorded, you know, for an album that he was working on, but we never heard Spread My Wings. And so we heard Turned Away. And, and you know, because we were working on our second album, and so we heard Turned Away. We was like, dude, we want that song. He said, okay, I'll pitch it to Sylvia, tell, you know, and see if Sylvia let you guys do it. And so he pitched it to her, but when we had a conversation with him, with her, she told us that it was going to go on, on Chucky's album. You guys can't do that record. Y'all got to have him to do something else. So we told him. I said, hey, we said, we told him, hey, bro, you got to get back in the lab, and come up with something like Turned Away. Because we really love Turned Away. But it was it was really an incredible song. Once even we, once even when we got the demo to spread my wings. It was a song that we couldn't turn on or off. We, I mean, we just kept it on repeat. The music was beautiful. The words were beautiful. Um, it was just, it was really beautiful. You know, Alan and Steve went in there, and, you know, they did their thing, man. You know, those vocals, those harmonies came out 
they were wonderful, you know. It, it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful song just to play over and over. We just played it over and over. And I, we just knew that it was going to be a brand for us, like big time with that song. Not to mention that code DJ Clark Kent remix he did for you guys. Yeah. With the break, yeah. like four minutes, 45 seconds in the song. Yeah, class yeah. joint. Which the choreography for that video, the choreography for that video was done by us, Tony Basil, um, you know, one of the original, you know, one of the original workers. It was Tony Basil, a friend of ours, Doc Clark, um, and there was one more, it was actually with two more guys that had a couple of pieces of uh, part of the choreography. One of the guys, I can't remember his name, but it's a, it's a hat move that we do where we take our hands and go around our head we were supposed to be using a hat. And so uh, the guy had brought a hat to a rehearsal, and, and he was using his hat to do the move. And we were like, wow, that move is dope. But we didn't use the hat in the video, so we, but we did use the move um, that he had did. And then um, Hugo. Hugo is an incredible boogaloo pop, pop locker. He's amazing. He's awesome. Uh, Latino guy. Uh, he's the guy that's on the wall in Captain EO when Michael does something and makes some, you know, make that stuff come out. You know, he, he does something with his hand and, you know, something comes out of, out of him and it goes into the wall and the guy comes out of the wall, you know, he starts to wave and everything. That's Hugo. So he helped us out with the dance break as well, too. Cool, man. You're giving me the history that I like to hear, man, and yeah. all the things of being the biopic of some sort. Yeah. All right, so the next big song from the second album is a cover of the Jackson 5's All I Do Was Think of You. Now, among us commoners, you know, who don't really sing, you know, a lot of us feel that you guys sing it better than the Jacksons. I decided to legends, but I just think you all sing that a little bit better and, you know, confirm a, um, a urban legend, a rumor. I heard that Mr. John John is the one that brought that song to the group's attention. Is that true, bro? Yeah, that, that's true. That's, that's, yeah, that's actually true. I used to always play that song all the time. I played it all the time. I mean, uh, the story behind that for me was that, very first time that I met Ken Fields and it was around the same exact time when the song came out um, in 1975 off of their last album Moving Violation and I went to this play that my cousin was in and Chip Fields uh, directed the play and my cousin had you know was, was in the play and my mom and my cousin my cousin Ray his mom, they were together. My mom and, and you know, Rose, they were together. And I showed up with them. And we had met Chip. And was talking to Chip and everything, and she was telling us that her daughter was coming tonight. And, you know, I want you guys to meet, meet, you know, meet my daughter. And I was like, wow, Kim Fields is coming? I was like, oh, my God. So I ended up meeting Kim Fields. Of course, you know, she shake my hand. She gives me a hug. And I wanted to literally melt like Daffy Duck did, does in the cartoon, you know, how he just slides down his chair or whatever. I wanted to do exactly that when I first met Kim Fields. So I was like, oh, my God, you know. So I go to the car, and I wait for my mom and my, my cousin Rose to come to the car because we were going out to eat afterwards. And, I, you know, it, you know, that's the time when, you know, your mother or your father would let you go ahead and take the keys and, start the car up and listen to the radio or whatever, you know, when, you, when you're able to start up the car, you know what I mean? So I do that. I go to the car, start the car up, and I sit in the back seat, and I kind of just lay down, and then this DJ, I'm listening to this radio station. It's, it's an AM radio station out here in Los Angeles from back in the day called KGFJ. So I'm, I'm playing that radio station, and the DJ comes on, and he says, you ready to play the Jackson 5? Latest single was called All I Do Is Think of You. It was off of the Moving Violation album. Guys, get ready to hear You know, so he plays the song. The song is so incredible and so beautiful to me 
that it just melts my whole entire soul. And it just has me to think about Kim Fields all night, all night, all night long. And it, it was just a beautiful song to me. And the way how Michael sang the, you know, the, you know, the verses and the lyrics and how Jermaine backed him up, the ad-libs, and it was just, it was incredible, man. I just thought that song was just incredible. But never thought, you know, within a million years of being a part of a group, actually redoing that song and, and having that song to do what it's become for us. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's amazing to me every time I think about that story. Yeah, man, like I said, I mean, it's, it's a, um, that was third grade. And, and I don't, you know, you know, a, a lot of people have been saying that about, you know, about us singing the song better than them. I, you know, people, let's please, let's not make this about a competition. It's not about a competition. You can never do anything better than anybody else anyway because God made us different. God made us different, and we can only do it the way we can only do it the way that God taught us. So at the end of the day, it's all about just keeping the legacy alive. And that's, that's you know, that's what we wanted to do. Well, I think what it is is, um, you know, it's 90s babies. Yeah. That's our version for that song. So, like, you really don't get Michael's version enough. It's kind of like, you know, put an equivalent with um, – Whitney's I'll Always Love You, you know, and, and Dolly Parton, well, that's kind of Whitney's song now. It's a bad comparison. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though. So, shout out to y'all, yeah. man, for a classic joint that still gets played 30 years later. As soon as you hear those opening chords, then you know what time it is. Right. So, you guys mm-hmm. also have the chance to work with a very young, not um, famous yet, Mr. Dallas Austin on a couple of tracks on Attitude. What do you remember yeah. about a young Dallas Austin? Because Dallas wasn't even 21 yet when he was working with you all. And this, this is pre-TLC, pre-Atlanta, Dallas yeah, Austin. Yeah, pre-Boyz II Men, all of that, yeah. Yeah, he came up with um, yeah. Joyce Irby writing that I Will Always Love You and My Love <laughs> and My Music for the first time. Yeah, yep. What memories do you have of a young Dallas Austin? Dallas was just a cool dude, man. Um, he, you know, he he was quiet. He was real humble, real humble. He he didn't he didn't really say much. I mean, he he really liked Troop. He liked us a whole lot. He, I mean, he was a you know he was a fan, you know, and he was just he was just like in awe, like when he met us because. He had heard everything about what we had already did with Chucky Booker and 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 Drill the Verd, and he was just like, "Man, you guys are, you guys are amazing, man. You guys are awesome, man." So, I mean, he really liked us, and he was just cool meeting him. It was more Joyce that was more hands on as far as like, like he was just Dallas was doing the music, you know, per se. He was just doing the music really, and Joyce was like, you know more hands-on, like, dealing with us as artists and, and help writing the songs. Like, I think she helped write I Will Always Love You with Steve, and she helped write, you know, the rap, you know, my music. Um, and I think her and Dallas, I think they both wrote um, My Love. But Joyce was the one that was, like, more hands-on, like, as far as, like, you know, like, really working with us. Yeah, and so and that's why I tell folks, man, it pays to be an album credit reader, especially if you consider yourself a music mm-hmm. connoisseur. Because that's one of my favorite things to do growing up was just pull out a um, well, it's Tom's audio cassette. So you pull out an audio cassette, and you read the credits, and you find out like you know who's done what, and then you discover like years later, like yo, this person um wrote this song, and this person did that song. You, you know, it just shows you how talented folks really are. So Troops on Fire, it's 1990, and we're about a year or so away from a little movie called New Jack City, and my man John John gets another cameo in a classic Mm. film. So how did Troop end up in New Jack City? Did you guys audition, or or did Mario um, see you guys out directly to 
do the cover of For the Love of Money with Levert and Queen Latifah? He came, um, let me see. I forgot where it all happened at. I just knew that we ended up in New York and he wanted to meet us because we had, I think we had, we were doing something like, I think at that time we had, uh, we were kind of like on the border or just finished working on the That's My Attitude music video. At the same time, we were touring with Hammer and we were, I believe we were doing something uh, at the Budweiser Superfest. So I think it was around that that whole time we were able to like link up with Mario and and he you know he talked to us about him having a cameo you know for us in the movie and you know it I believe it, it all came through um, Mario wanting us to be a part of the movie. The only thing that kind of like blew my mind about it is that when the you know when the movie first starts when the movie first starts. I'm the first verse. I'm the first voice that you hear. That was mind blowing to me. I was. I, I did not. We did not have a clue on the album. You know that the the movie would open up like that. And then you hear. You are now about to witness the strip of street knowledge. And then, and our song comes on. It was like whoa. Yeah, that was amazing. So you mentioned you guys were on a tour with Hammer, and this is when like, Hammer Mania is everywhere now. You know, I'm a young buck, so I didn't get a chance to actually see Hammer's live show when he was in his um, prime. So just take me back to that time when you guys were touring with Hammer. That was on the um, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him tour. That tour when he was like the yes, man. was. That, that. That's the that's the tour that actually I believe Hammer was selling at least a million albums a day. Who does that? This man was selling literally like a million albums a day. So that tour was like the tour of all tours to be on or to go to see. I mean, that was like, that tour was, man, yeah, that was an amazing tour. A lot of fun. And Michelle, uh, Dr. Dre, Eazy-E. Uh, yeah. it, it was awesome, man, because Old Town 357 would open the show. They would, they would open the show. And then Dr. J, no, not Dr. Then Dr. Dre and Eazy-E would get on stage and they would go ahead and tell everybody in the audience where we were staying at. So the hotels were packed every night, fans everywhere. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, we were selling out 20,000 or more seats a night, every night. I mean, it was crazy. And to be a part of that tour, I mean, I mean, it was nothing like it. It was nothing like it. It was, it was incredible, man. It was incredible. And that was a worldwide tour, correct? That was what? Worldwide tour. You guys were all around the world on that on, on that tour, right? Oh, pretty much, yeah. We were gone like a, between three and five months. We was on that tour. Cool, cool. So yeah, truth is uh, on on point. Everything's going smooth. Ninety two rolls around. And you guys dropped what I feel is probably one of the most underrated albums from 92 and arguably, probably, at least from a slow jam standpoint, you guys' strongest album, in my opinion, the Deep album. That had the cover of Sweet November. You guys had um, Deeper. Deeper takes me back. You had... um, you take my heart with you, whatever it takes to make you stay. And, again, I, I feel like Deepa should have been the album to push you guys, like, to that next level to where you would have been up there with the uh, boys to men's and, the you know, you guys would have been that premier group. 
of a five-man group just on the West Coast, like, killing the game. And I don't think Deepa gets enough credit from the masses. Do you feel like the label kind of dropped the ball with the promotion? Or, you know, take me back to Deepa and why it didn't get the love that it fully deserved, in my opinion, from the masses. I think that it didn't get the pub that it was supposed to get. That was due to management change. Um, We changed management from our first management to busted management. That's MC Hammer, uh, his brother Louis Louis Burrell, their company, uh, Busted Productions, um, record company. I mean, they got everything. I mean... I, I think it was it was on our on I'm speaking on truth's behalf. On our behalf we think that it was a good move for money move for money for money reasons. Our first management company was they just wasn't showing us the money that we were supposed to be making. It wasn't showing us the money that we found out that what we were making, you know. So um but we didn't have a conversation with our management to straighten things out. Things that probably things pretty much got rushed for the contracts to be signed with busted. So um, there was a rush job. There was a rush situation on signing the contract. We signed contracts, and you know we had to go through litigation with our first management company because it was like a breaching situation. We breached contracts. To sign with you know with, with, to sign with a busted bridge contract, so we did that, and so we had to sit and wait for a long time for like eighteen months, so you know after that, you know fans are ready to move on you know to the next best thing that's coming, you know, so if you really think about it, you guys wasn't really supposed to hear about boys to men, no silk, no h town. No, well, maybe H-Town, because they were a three-man group. If any, any any other group from, like, four to five-man group, you wasn't supposed to hear about any of because Troop kind of had their doors closed. Um, we had the doors closed, man. I mean, so because of us being, you know, because of us sitting, not doing anything, just working on the album, you know, that's kind of the reason why I believe that the deeper album fell by the wayside as well too, and the label didn't like the management that we had signed with, so they pretty much, you know, they shelved that deeper album, and that's why I didn't get the pub that it was supposed to get. Yeah, man. To my listeners out there, if you guys haven't heard Troop's third album the deep album, check that joint out because tracks 1 to 15, you can just let it ride on out. And Steve's writing was on point. You know, you would see what Steve was going to do in the future. You know, as a writer, you had Chucky Booker doing stuff on there. You got Gerald Albright playing with sax, man. Deepa is, yo, classic album. So shout out to my man John John and the rest of the members from Troop for making a classic album in 92 that didn't get its love. So two years later, no problem, but, you know, you know, it's all love, man. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an R&B head, man, so when I say, like, something is like that, that joint is like that, and, you know, the older you get, at least for me, I mean, Deepa came out when I was 11, so, you know, I'm an Air Force vet, so, and I, just, I did my entire tour overseas, so, a lot of times when I was just buying music, you know, building up my music collection and, you know, buying the Deepa album and actually going back and letting it play from start to finish, you know, with somebody in their 20s when I, when I rebought it. Yeah, because I had, I had the joint and then it got stolen from me when I was a teenager and I bought it again when I, with my own money when I was in my 20s. But, you know, going back from start to finish, just the concept that you guys – you know, we're going for, um, hey, you have, like, the little skits in between songs, and it's like you guys are telling a story for, like, a long-form video, 
and it wasn't just a collection of songs, but I mean, you guys actually told a story, and every song segued into the next song. And this was 92, so that's something that is kind of hard to pull off in R&B. I mean, very few artists can pull off the concept album in R&B. And it's not a shot at anybody, but it's just it's a difficult thing to do. And I really can't think of no other groups besides you all and New Edition who pulled off the concept album to where every song is a segue into the next song. And it's like you guys are telling a story about your experiences. So, you know, that's my little tangent on Diva Classic Joint. I might, I might be being biased, but that's yeah, my opinion. So it is what it is. So the next album drops. And I'm going to agree with you. I agree, my brother. I agree. That was that was an album. It really was. That was an album of, of albums. I, I, would, I used to say that about the Deeper album, I used to say that that would probably be the best album that Treats recorded. It's 94 rows around. The next album drops, a little something something, and I know that this album um, is just, you know, you guys will talk about this album too much, but there are two songs you sang on briefly, Let's Get Warm, and what's the other one? Just for, for the diehard fans, they know where to hear your vocal on the 94 album, A Little Something Something. That's the way. Cool. Yeah, but A Little Something Something, folks, that's another troop album. Um just if you haven't heard, check it out. Some good slow jams on that one. But we're going to move right into the group's 98 album, another joint that I discovered um, later in life. So let me tell you how I discovered Mayday. So it's 2004. I'm in the Air Force, and I'm in London. And I'm just walking around, you know, seeing the sights and everything. I see a music store, and I'm a music head. So naturally, like, you know, I'm going to a music store, and I'm going to pick stuff up, and I see the Troop Mayday album out there, and I'm like, yo, Troop got, Troop got, Troop got a new joint out? Let me pick this joint up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, naturally I do. Come to find out, it dropped in 98, six years prior to me joining the Air Force. So on this joint, bruh, bruh, fly mm-hmm. away, I love only you, the Curtis Maple joint, so in love. Don't Worry Your Mind. And when I tell you Don't Worry Your Mind was a secret weapon, that was the Mr. Steel Girl song before Trey songs Mr. Steel Girl. That's another sick album that didn't get the push that it deserved. So Mayday drops, all five members. You guys are doing somewhat of the true bling on the cover. Mm-hmm. Take me back to that album. What's your favorite song from that album? And what was the process with you guys knocking that one out? Man, to me, you know, that, that's another deeper album to me. Those songs to me were like, wow. Um, you know, forgot about another one, man, Over the Moon. That was a great record, too. And um, I just think that the whole entire album was, like, really, really good, man. It was really good. I, I was shocked and amazed that, that it was coming together and, and even shocked and amazed that we were getting back together because after going through what we had went through, um, you know, from the 94 situation, I, I kind of thought that it was, you know, it was over. But Steve was calling and saying, hey, man, listen to the song. Tell me what you think. And I didn't know that Quiet is kept it. He was just working on another true record. I was like, wow, this is this is dope, man. This, this is a hit. I mean, the first song that he would, that he would uh, call to play for me was Fly Away. I was like, man, this is dope, man. It's like another answer back to, like, spread my wings. I was like, Steve, that's dope. And then he called me another time, planned, I think he played uh, Don't You Worry Your Mind. Uh, then he, play, he called and played I Take It Back. I was like, dude, what's going on? He's like, man, working on a shoot record, man, so you're going to be coming to the studio real soon, man. I said, oh, I, okay, cool, I'm there, I'm there. You know, we all power out, we talk on the phone, and everybody's happy and, and ready to get back into the studio. And we recording this fifth album, True Mayday. It was just, you know, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. Yep. Another album, folks, y'all need to check out is Troops album number five, Mayday, available on all streaming platforms. And 
it's one of those things where the music's out there. Sometimes you just got to look for it. And yeah. as John John was saying, you know, it's up there with Deepa, and, you know, it's just a cold album, but I liken it to maybe the joint not being on a major label. You know, it's on an indie label, which is cool. And, you know, in the 90s, man, you really didn't have independent music the way that it is now. So, like, you really had to push and get out there and promote your stuff. So that's like I said, you know, me, I'm an R&B head, and, like, I didn't know about Mayday until I was overseas. So that, that lets you know just how hard it is to be an independent artist around that time. So check that joint out, man. It's a sick album. Yeah. All right, so we talked about Troop. My man, let's get into your little um, solo career. You did a cover of Luther Vandross's Never Too Much. Tell us more about your other solo songs that you dropped, you know, recently. Um, there's uh, a duet with me and a friend. Her name is Brooklyn Jane. Got that cut. Um, called Fragile. There's also a music video out there as well on YouTube. Um, a movie that's called The Love Section. Uh, another duet that's with me and one of my writers. His name is D. Coop. Um, that's out there. It's the self-titled track to, an, to a movie called The Love Section. That movie actually started Carlita Smith and um, Makai Pfeiffer and a few other familiar faces. Um, it, it was it was just really it was just a DVD movie, but the DVD uh, actually had a um, soundtrack to it. The supervising producer of it. It was Damone Arnold, the same guy who helped me with my um, Never Too Much tribute to Luther Vandross. And then uh, also, too, there's, um, you know, one of my singles that's out there now called I Want to Fly Away, which you guys are going to love that. If you guys love Michael Jackson's Break of Dawn, it's kind of like it has like that same sameness to that one, and, and it's called I Want to Fly Away. Uh, then my latest one, which is called Cover Girl. So can we pick an album pretty soon, or are you just going to be dropping um, singles, like most artists are doing in 2020? Yeah, just dropping singles just to keep the buzz going, you know, letting people know, know you know, knowing about me and that, you know, uh, where they can find me and, you know, for me to be able to get work you know, and to perform and, you know, and to do what I do. Well, man, whenever you go on a drop, man, you know, you got to support me, man, because R&B ain't dead, folks. You just got to gotta look for it. So, R&B like most singers, like most singers, you know, you also ventured into acting. I understand you did a, um, a gospel play here and there. What was your first gospel play, and how was that experience? Working with Roy Fagan, who played Bird, in the five heartbeats. Yeah, that's uh, that play was called Treat Her Like a Lady. Um, Roy, he wrote me in the play and, and wrote me a um, or wrote me out a character by the name of Coco Puffs. That was a lot of fun. Um, I'm hoping maybe one of these days he can get that back going and hit me up and see, see what we can do. Uh. So I was I did that and I helped out also too with the background singers and stuff that were singing certain songs that was a part of the play. That was a lot of fun. And another play that I remember that I was a part of was called The Barbershop. Um, that was in Philly. That was a lot of fun. I was actually like pretty much I, I opened up uh the play by performing a couple of songs and I played one of the characters in um in the barbershop machine, uh, barbershop scene. It was pretty cool. So is that something that you would consider doing, um, you know, secondary to singing, or do you just want to, you know, if, I, if an opportunity presents itself, you're going to jump on it? Yeah. I would definitely love to do some stuff like that. Cool. I'll see, see that. i got to see if I can find some of your acting work. So Troop has dropped singles here and there the last couple of um, 
years, you know, I always make it a mission to go on and take something up. So you guys had Why You Leaving in 2014, a Disappear in 2014, Forever in 2013, I Know in 2017, and Pick Up Your Money in 2015, and one of my favorite joints of the last couple years, not in a million years. So are you guys going to do the same thing, just drop singles here and there, or are you guys thinking about doing album number six? Um, I don't know. You know, uh, depending on what the entire group wants to do, uh, what Steve wants to do, um, how we can go ahead and make everything work and, and happen, I'm, I'm with it. Uh, I, I just right now, you know, it, it's more of us being able to just, you know, get more work out there as performers and doing these shows because at the end of the day, people love good memories. And, you know, a lot of good material, a, a lot of material, a lot of new material that's out there right now, it's okay, but I don't, I don't think that it's leaving behind really good memories for people. So that's why, you know, even before this pandemic was going on, you was hearing so much about old school art, artists working, doing, you know, doing concerts, because that music gave people, you know, good memories. And I think that's what it's all about right now. It's about, you know, it's about the people to have, you know, to, to, to think on good thoughts and how times were for them, you know, how it was back in the 80s. And this is the music that does it. So... Um, as far as the new material, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's cool and all. It, it just all depends on how everything is being marketed and promoted so it can be successful, just like the stuff from back in the day. So, um, that's where it pretty much boils down to. Yeah, respect. And I mean, to piggyback off what you, um. What you were saying, you know, I think the older that I've gotten, I kind of realized, like, as much as you kind of want new music from artists, sometimes the machine that you all came up under, the machine that all the 90s acts, the 80s acts, the 70s acts came up under, you guys weren't focusing on singles. You guys were focusing on making quality albums. So true to me, if you guys drop a single like every six months, cool. You know, drop a single, drop something new. But your guys' discography speaks for itself to where you can swap your old stuff because your old stuff, you know, is classic R&B. And some of you guys' right. album tracks, not the singles, some of the album tracks kill a lot of artists. I'm not going to say no names entire discography who's preceded y'all. And, like, right now, again, I'm not going to say no names, but there's a lot of artists out there that if they're at a show and they get called out to just sing on the spot, they can't do it. Now, folks, here's some more homework. YouTube, when John John gets called out by Ricky Bell to sing on stage, and John John's in the audience, so it, it wasn't planned, it wasn't, Rehearse. I mean, John John was probably just there chilling, you know, watching BBD perform. So Ricky calls a man on stage, and John John kills it. Now, a lot of your other favorites out there that came out, you know, in the last five, ten years can't do that because they just they can't do it. And I'm not going to say no names, but I'm going to leave it at mm-hmm. that. So put some respect on Troop's name and put some respect on John John's name, real R&B singers. So speaking of um, Steve, I remember on Unsung, Steve was saying that a lot of songs he's probably written, you know, throughout his writing career outside of Troop for other artists probably would have been Troop songs. Is there any song that Steve's written that you can think of off the top of your head for another artist that you would have loved to sing as a Troop member? Well, I think pretty much we've we've done some of them. Like um, Steve is, you know, he's he's a different type of writer to where also 
that he writes for the artist and what fits that artist. You know what I mean? I'm about to say that. Yeah. The stuff that he was doing, like, I, I liked what he did for Jordan Sparks and Chris Brown. I mean, that was dope. I love the song that he did for Charlie Wilson. He did a song on Charlie Wilson called um, Homeless. He did that. He did um, another one, Can't Live Without You, for Charlie Wilson. Um, I think he did another one called What If I'm the One for Charlie. I mean, Steve is bad, man. So it's like... Yes, he is. Those, those songs, I would love to see what it would be like for us to sing. You know, we did sing Got to Be, the one that he had did on B2K. And, yeah. and the, even, I mean, and, and that was cool. I loved how we got Big Bub and did it with Big Bub. Because, see, in the beginning, to be honest, that song was supposed to be for us anyway, but we didn't have a deal. And, and, and at that time, you know, Internet was real small, so, you know, we weren't thinking about that. Um, but we didn't have a deal, and Steve had did this song, and he said, man, I, w- I wish we could go ahead and do this record. He said, but I'm, I'm also working with these kids, B2K. He said, man, they, you know, they're with, they're, you know, they're with um, Chris Stokes, and Chris Stokes got them the deal over there at Sony and everything. So I talked to the people over at Sony. I mean, I would love to do this song on Truth, man. And I was like, Steve, I told him, I said, man, we don't have no deal, man. Just, you know, just get on out there and, and let those kids do it, man. It, it'll be okay. It, that That's how you keep the name going anyway. So just, you know, just do that for a while. We'll be able to do some stuff pretty soon. So, um, you know, so, but we do. Troop has at least seven to ten, maybe ten, twelve songs that are out there on iTunes and Amazon, so it's not like we haven't been doing any, you know, any music and, you know, any singing, you know, as a group, you know. You, you just named some of them, you know, forever and not in a million years. Those songs are from the 2000s, so that's that's the future. Um, you know, so it is what it is. So we might do that a few more times. You know, it, it all depends. I, I don't know. But right now, you know, we're just trying to focus on, you know, still being together as a group. Well, one man down, you know, the you know the remaining members is myself, Rodney, Allen, and Steve. And we're trying to, you know, keep the train moving. Uh, you guys, you know, please pray for Reggie. Pray for all of us. Uh, you know, Reggie, he's still on, um, on what, what do you call it, medical leave until further notice. Reggie's yeah. on medical leave until further notice. So just, you know, keep him prayed up. Um, we will be able to be, you know, seeing him again. And, and meeting him and seeing what's going on with him, seeing how he's doing, and seeing what he wants to do. Um, so other than that, you know, just, you know, keep us all in your prayers, uh, you know, and we're just trying to, especially when this pandemic is over with, I pray that, you know, a promoter like really like where's Troop, where's so-and-so. Let's put all this stuff together. Now let's bring some, you know, some really good memories back together since we've been going through this pandemic stuff. So uh, that's just what we're really looking for, too, so we can get back out there and get back to work. All right, bro. Well, you know, we got to get into the hard questions. You know, I haven't let you kept it easy on you for the past hour or so, so, you know, we got to get into the hard questions. All right, my man. So California native, you rocking with the um, the Rams or the Raiders? Oh, man. Wow, bro. You're right. This one is a hard one. This one is a hard one because I've been a fan of both of those teams, man. It's like, dang. Ugh. Wow. Oh, man. I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and just say the Rams. I'm just going to go ahead and say the Rams. I, 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 you know, I, I I like the Raiders. You know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm a Ram. I've always been a Ram guy since I was a kid. Between the Rams, Dallas Cowboys, really the Dallas Cowboys because of the cheerleaders. I mean, come on, man. You know what yeah. I mean? So, uh, and I can say, you know, I used to love me some um, Mean Joe Green. 
You know, so I was a big fan of Pittsburgh as well too. Uh, after those are really kind of like my teams, and probably the San Francisco 49ers. Um, but you know, um, those are like like you know my go-to teams. Other than that, mm, I don't know, man. I know a lot of people love the Green Bay Packers, and and that's cool. I get it, but you know, hey, man, I'm more of a Western guy, kind of. So I like to stick with my West Coast people. The Lakers or the Clippers? Gotta be the Lakers. I've always been a, a, an all-time Laker fan since I, you know, since man, since the birth of basketball. That's been within me, you know. I was in the Lakers, man. Magic Johnson has always been my guy. So I'm like, I'm curious how that works because you know I've been to LA. It's been years, but I mean I've been to LA. So how does that like work with the fandom having two major teams that close in proximity? Because you know here in DC, you know you have the Ravens and you have um, Ravens in Baltimore. You have um, you know the Redskins, and I mean for mm. the most part, I mean you have people that you know they like both. But it's like you're either a Skins fan or, you know, you're like you're a Ravens fan. You just can't really be like a, a football fan. So I've always been curious how that works in L.A. having the Clippers and the Lakers so close in proximity. Like how do fans decide who to rock with? I think, uh, for, you know, for me, I take it as is. You know, when the Clippers came in, and I have a friend of mine that I actually, you know, he has, you know, he has Clipper passes and everything. So I've been to, you know, a couple of games with him and everything, and it, and it's okay. Um, but at the end of the day, I I I just have to rock with my Lakers. It's almost like because they do the Staples Center a different way and everything. It's almost it's almost like like you're in a different you you're in a different city or state. It's kinda of weird, man. It's a trip. It's a trip it's a trip on how they make that look. But you know you know, it is what it is. I have to be you know, I have to be with my Lakers, man. Respect and uh of course, you know, rest in peace Kobe and you know, still um yeah. surreal and it's been Five months and, I mean, not not to bring up any memories and everything, but, I mean, I always tell people, for me, even though I grew up in Kobe's era, you know, you know, 80s, 90s baby, so, you know, I was there when Kobe, you know, became, you know, signed and before he, you know, when he actually became Kobe. But, I mean, for me, it hit me harder as a dad than it did as a basketball fan when he passed away. Like, I right. was just a, a mess at work when, you know, you got the news about Kobe and Gigi. Like, you know, I had to text my son, like, right away and be like, you know, man, I had to tell him it just, it hurts. I mean, rest in peace, Kobe, man. Like, you know, we're never going to be the same after Kobe passed away. Well, all right, my man, I want to yeah. thank you for um, for stopping by. The interview was good to chop it up with the unsung singer who played a big part in my childhood Um growing up classic songs for days. So again folks, just um go on all your social media platforms social media. Go on all your um streaming platforms. Just type in Troop. Check out, you know, some of Troop's later stuff. Type in John John, you can find some of his stuff. And John John man, tell the people where they can find you on social media. On social media you guys can find me at John John Harold. Um, no, John John's solo project finally. Um, on Facebook. Um, you can go to John John's uh no, Team John John. The Team John John on Facebook. Um, you can go to We Love Troop as well too with all capital letters with three quotation marks at the end. There's like two different pages of We Love Troop. The one I'm telling you about to go to is the one with all capital letters and the three quotation marks behind that. 
Um, you can email me at John John of Truth at Yahoo dot com. That's J O N J O H N of Truth at Yahoo dot com. All right, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed Mr. John John on our views and done. It's always a pleasure to talk to R and B singers. And in honor of one of my favorite troop songs, I'm going to leave you with a quote by Muhammad Ali. So the song is Spread My Wing, and the quote is, the man who has no imagination has no wings. Until the next time, peace and blessings, done, out. Yo, check it out. This is the Wild Cowboy with a lot of style, boy. One of one, untraceable. Punk jump up to get beat down. Slow down. And yo, I want y'all to check out this podcast, yo. Y'all been listening to the reviews and done with your host, Derek Dunn. Be sure to check out reviewsanddone.net. Understand that. Reviews and done. That's D-U-N-N.net. Word up. It's a good combination. Dot X and done. What's messing with that, peoples?